Good morning. Good morning to all of you here and also online. It was suggested that we start off the new year with a, a sermon about the earth and what we can do to protect it. And my title of the message this morning is The Earth is Hurting. While I was preparing this message, I came across a cable show that focused on environmental degradation in West Virginia. I just happened onto this show and I started watching it for a while. In it, the host mentioned roadblocks to making improvements, that is industry and even some state agencies, federal agencies. That made me think about other organizations and institutions that may be problematic with respect to environmental protection, but not in the aggressive way, but in a passive way. Religion came to mind, and Baptists in particular. The way I describe them is as being amiss, not being intentional in addressing the issue. We are going to be intentional today and see the issue from a Christian perspective. In 2007, Baptists passed a resolution on climate change. It was long on politics and short on substance, short on environmental concerns. In 2008, some of the leaders of the convention including the SBC president, wrote a letter to the convention stating that the 2007 resolution was tepid. It gave the impression that Baptists lacked care. Nothing has changed since then. Those who wrote the resolution did not have the right mindset. They saw a battle with environmental evangelicals for the soul of individuals. They saw environmentalism as a new religion and the worship of a false god, nature. Concern for the protection and well-being of the earth is biblical, and we'll see that in a little bit when I read you scripture. Yet over the past 40 years, I've heard two sermons on environmental concerns with a biblical perspective, and one of them has been mine. I want you to understand the biblical underpinning and to take it to heart. That environmental protection is part of our Christian walk, and it is advocated by no less than Jesus Christ. Jesus saves souls. People must save the earth. We cannot afford denying the issue. 
We see how destructive denial has been with the virus pandemic. There is no vaccine for environmental degradation. Let me read you a couple of uh, quotations from some news articles that I read that kind of give a brief summary of some of the things that we face with a hurting earth. This is with Gene Robinson in the Washington Post, who's a columnist for the Post. It's hard to focus on more than one catastrophe at a time. And we've all been preoccupied with the virus pandemic. But this year we've also had fires in California that were so vast, their smoke turned the sky an eerie orange in the San Francisco Bay Area. Punishing heat waves in many parts of the country, a devastating derecho in Iowa, and so many Atlantic storms, hurricanes, that those in charge of such things ran out of A to Z names and had to start in on the Greek alphabet for the surplus. The earth is hurting. An article from CNN was written by several different people, one namely Sam Kiley. Experts say the rising number of emerging viruses is largely the result of ecological destruction and wildlife trade. As their natural habitats disappear, animals like rats and bats and insects survive where larger animals get wiped out. They're able to live alongside human beings and are frequently suspected of being the vectors that carry new diseases to humans. Further on in the article, in the first 14 years of the 21st century, an area larger than 57,000 square miles was felled in the Congo River Basin rainforest. The United Nations has warned that the current destruction and population growth trends continue. The country's rainforest may have completely disappeared by the end of the century. As that happens, and animals and viruses they carry will collide with people in new and often disastrous ways. The earth is hurting. Unfortunately, these problems cannot be solved by vaccinating, but by a biblical mindset. I want to read some of the biblical underpinnings of what I want to talk about today. First will be um, reading in Genesis. And uh, just as a note, I was looking for something else and came across this Bible. It's the King James Version. And it was kind of tucked away in a drawer. And it belonged to my grandfather, who was a Methodist minister. And uh, he preached in churches in Maryland and West Virginia back in the 1920s and 30s and early 40s until he got sick. And I thought, well, 
I'll take this out and use it again after 70-some years that it's been used. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And moving down some in the story of creation. Going down to the seventh verse. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters called he the seas. And God saw that it was good. <coughs> and God said, let the earth bring forth grasses, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after this his kind, whose seed in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And then going down to verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And God created man in his own image and the image of God created he him. Man and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed you shall be for me. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for me. And it was so. And I, God, saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning or the sixth day. Now I want to tie this into the New Testament in Colossians, first chapter, verses 15 through 17. Jesus, and that's, I'm adding that to this, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. 
For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And then one other verse I'd like to add is from Psalms 19.1. It's one of my favorite, and I wanted to add this as sort of an afternote. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. The earth is hurting. People disagree over the creation story. Was it six days as we know it, or as we know a day, or epochs of time? It's really not important. What is important that the story tells that God created and did so in an orderly manner. I see no conflict in the biblical story and science. People tend to get wrapped around the axle on this and they fail to see and see how belief in God's word and understanding application of science work together in answering questions about the environment. Again, faith and science inform each other to answer different questions about the relationship to the world and to its creator. We believe in God. It's not a belief in science. It's an understanding and acceptance so there's a big difference there. We're not making a religion out of science. And it is not an attempt by environmentalists to replace faith in God and Jesus. Many evangelicals, in particular, take a strict view of the biblical story and believe a focus on the environment is diminishing the focus on Jesus as Savior. That nature is a false God. Let me say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And his great commission is to make disciples, baptize, and teach them the word of the Lord. Concern for the environment does not diminish these beliefs. There are three qualities or attitudes that enable us to take God's desire to heart. And I don't like you to take them to heart as you leave here. Stewardship, sensitivity, 
and reverence for life. We saw in the first chapter of Genesis, in chapter or in verses 26 to 31, the idea of stewardship that God is through Jesus. Jesus was there at the creation. Gave us the authority to reign or have dominion. And those two terms don't mean to dominate and do whatever we want. They're telling us to act as, as shepherds did with their sheep, that they took care of them, they kept them safe, they fed them, made sure they weren't straying off, falling in ditches. So it's a sense of nurturing. Rain encompasses care for the environment. With Jesus' presence, we have the connection with our Christian walk. And it is a part of our Christian walk by authority of Jesus. Sensitivity. Moses had an encounter with God involving a burning bush. God told Moses he would lead the Israelites to the promised land. During the encounter, the bush was not consumed. Each of us has had an encounter, but we may not have realized it. Think about it. In the springtime, you see an azalea bush that's in full bloom, and bright pink, red, white. Think of a maple tree in the fall that's got bright yellow leaves and bright red leaves, or an oak tree with bright red leaves. God can speak to us through these devices, these methods. I say that this tree and all of its fall glory is a burning bush, as is the azalea bush. And that God is using it to tell us of the glory of his creation and to remind you of the responsibility to protect his creation. The earth is hurting. Reverence for life. Lauren Isley is a, or was a writer, an anthropologist, a teacher, scientist. He's one of my favorite writers. And he wrote a book, one of his books, called The Star Thrower. And that has stayed with me since I first read it, probably back in the 70s or early 80s. It exemplifies the quality, the attitude, and reverence for life. He tells a story that he's in a foreign country, walking along a beach, and he sees a man in the distance who stops every now and then and picks up something and throws it into the water. 
And so as he gets closer to the man, he finds him picking up starfish that have washed up on the beach from a storm that happened the previous night. And if left there, they will die. So the man picks them up, throws it in the water. And he stops the man and he says, why are you doing this? I mean, you can't possibly take care of this long beach for miles and miles. And the man bends down and picks up another starfish and throws it in the water. And he says, well, I can't help all of them, but I did help this one. I was fishing one year on a small river stream in Montgomery County. And it's the Patuxent River. It's upstream where it's small at that point. You can just wade in it and wade across it. Particularly during the summer, you get hard storms that raise the level of the, weather, uh, the water and it overflows the banks and then it goes down just as quickly and it leaves ponds along the side that are cut off from the main stream and sometimes fish get caught in those. And unless it storms again and fills up, they can't get out. So as I was fishing and walking along the riverbank, I came across this fish, this trout, in this pond, struggling because it wasn't very deep, the weather was hot, there wasn't much oxygen left in this water, so this fish was not gonna survive. So I cornered it, I picked it up, and I took it over to the main stream of the river and put it in a deep pool where the water was cooler and full of oxygen. I couldn't help them all along there, but I did for this one. The earth is hurting. We have the responsibility to take care of what we can. We can't do everything, but small things can add up if everybody keeps these things in mind. That we're stewards of the earth, that we are sensitive to what's going on around us, and we can see and hear God talking to us and asking us to take care of his creation for us and at times we can do small things that if many people do them it adds up and we can make our wishes known to people in positions that can make some decisions to do things about it on a different scale so we need to keep these things in mind and we need to not get caught up in the denying of the fact that the earth is hurting or denying that science can help out and not get bogged down into squabbles about these kinds of issues. 
it's very clear. There's a movie back in the 50s that I saw, and I, I didn't remember much of it, other than it was in black and white. But I think it's called When Earth, When Worlds Collide. And it's a story about how the Earth is going to be destroyed by this large sun, which is moving into the Earth's orbit. And that sun has a planet on it. So for eight months, people on Earth go through the effort of a lottery and fixing and making a rocket to take them to this new planet. And so when the time comes, people board this rocket and they go to this new planet. And when they land and they open the hatch, the black and white movie suddenly becomes color. And it's a whole new world of flowers and trees and blue sky and an atmosphere that they can breathe. And so they've escaped and the earth is destroyed. We're not gonna have that option. If you've seen any pictures of Mars, you know that's not a place where we're gonna go and open the hatch and walk out and start living and picking apples off a tree. Jesus saves people, souls. But people will have to save the earth. When I was working, there was, we had a group of lawyers who did criminal cases. And in one of their offices they had a sign. And we know the, the verse that was on this sign as, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his own soul? And someone had changed that to, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his own soil? I think that's appropriate as a message to us, that there are a lot of things going on in the world where a hurting earth is being forgotten but it's gonna come back to haunt us if we don't do something about it. And as I read earlier, there are a lot of things going on that take our attention, but this can't be ignored either. And it takes people with the Christian understanding, with the gospel, with the authority of Jesus nonetheless, to do something about it. It's part of our walk and it's expected of us just as following him in the Great Commission. Let us pray. Lord, please give us the courage and the understanding to be good stewards of the earth, to take it to heart, and give us the courage and understanding too, Lord, 
to have a sensitivity of the world around us and your message through those burning bushes in our lives. And help us, Lord, to have a reverence for life, for all humans and for all other life. And help us to take care of a hurting earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.